New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show, and our review of the USMNT's final game of the 2022 World Cup. As US soccer fans, we don't ask for much, but it would have been nice to get a win over the Dutch. Greg Berhalter's men knew exactly what was at stake, but couldn't help but be caught out on the break. If Pulisic or Weyer or Ream had converted, Holland's part of the quarters might have been diverted. We had better XG and we had good control. It's just a shame we kept conceding the exact same goal. There's (laughs) lessons to be learned, but we can probably all agree... This wasn't a bad tournament for the boys and Triple G. My <laughs> oh name's my Ryan God. Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's throwing out his pancake mix, his clogs, his windmill collections, all of it. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Did the Dutch bring us pancakes? Because if so, that is going to change some of my morning arithmetic. Uh, and as, as, as far as everybody says Greg Berhalter had a great, great, good tournament, I think the BR comment section might disagree with you <laughs> a little bit based on that live post game. But yes, I think overall we, we landed on what, like a B-ish grade yeah. for the U.S. in this yeah. World Cup. And I think yeah. that's, uh, that's fair, even if on the day the United States maybe not quite as impressive as we had the, all hoped. The BR be. chat was rather negative, apart from the one person mm. crushing on Joel. Right? There. Dude, we were talking about this, Graham. That was me. That was Ryan, of course. (laughs) I don't know who that person is. I'm not sure if it's not Joe's wife or mom. Uh, But yes, that that person was all about some Joe Lowry to the point where as soon as he started the broadcast, it was like, there's my guy. I was like, all right, all right, Joe. (laughs) Joe, don't go to Houston, apparently. You might get abducted. Yeah, I've I've strategically placed my people in the chats. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Also here, ladies and gents, you just heard his voice there. It's a man who's got a secret admirer in the Bleacher Report comments. Lock your doors and windows tonight, Joe Lowry. Yeah, I'll be locking them just a little bit tighter than normal, making extra sure that they're all they're all tight and snug. I uh, do we even need to finish the show? And partially because I don't I don't really want to talk about this game, but also partially because Ryan's intro was so good, and I think ac- yeah. accurately summarized a lot of my thoughts. Maybe not everything, but Ryan, well done on your intro. It wasn't as like laugh out loud funny just because I don't have it in me today, but it yeah. was very very clever. You're very uh, kind, Joe. And it, you, I don't think the time was for for belly laughs today. No, You're quite right. Didn't seem that way. Ryan, um, I, I I have some uh, some in laws here, uh, and my my wife's uncle, my wife, uh, my wife, uh, said, uh, "I love the show, man. I've been listening. The Ryman guy, Ryman guy's good." And I was like, "Yeah, he is." <laughs> <laughs> like he brings it, man. He, yeah. he does some better performances. I don't know how you're going to keep him around. I was like, "I don't know either." That's he a- is he is the poet laureate of the soccer world. Taylor, that's very kind, but it's also the classic comment of a relative who listened to the first three minutes of the podcast to tell you he'd listened. <laughs> My dad did that and said, Ryan, you are exuberant. That was the word he used to describe you. Oh, I'll take that. <laughs> Graham, I feel like like 
knowing the Scottish as I claim to, uh, which is to say I've been around you some, I feel like your dad would call most things exuberant in relation <laughs> to himself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any car that isn't, you know, black or white, that's a bit of an well, exuberant how does, car. How does he ride. feel about your current car? Let's talk about that for a moment. Oh, he's got no time for that. He's got no time for that nonsense at all. An orange car. Are you having a laugh? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, Graham Russell, I'll introduce you in a minute, by the way, but uh, you must be bitterly disappointed that you didn't get to do a shoey today on our Bleach Report. Uh, show, uh, you literally were holding your shoe in the air, like going, huh, huh, can I put beer in this, please? I thought about maybe doing something that wasn't beer out of the shoe as a, as a show of disappointment, like just do water as a symbolic show Taylor's of tears. Uh, that's uh, what failed. Yeah, yeah, maybe tears. Yeah, that, maybe that was the right way to go, to go Joe. I should have filled the shoe up with my tears before we started recording. But yeah, I'll, I'll do a shoey tonight just in honour of uh, the US anyway. A good, a good tournament deserves a good shoey, I'd say. <laughs> well, Graham, that sounds like perfect content for our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Show. If you haven't joined us already, listener, please do. It's a great way to support us during this World Cup endeavour. We're doing extra podcasts, we're doing videos, we're doing written articles, and we're doing a video tonight of Graham drinking from his shoe... Uh, a shoe of sadness, uh, perhaps tonight. But usually the shoey is a positive thing. But maybe it's a a commiserate, commiserating shoey tonight from Graham. So uh, look forward to that on the Patreon. Um, and yeah, we're going to dig into the Netherlands three USA one today. Uh, we are aware on this match day on Saturday there is another game Argentina Australia. We're going to we're going to focus on the US day and leave that one until the next podcast. So as I mentioned, as we are all aware, the US's journey in Qatar has reached its end. We had a Memphis Depay opening the scoring, uh, Daily Blint uh, doubling the score with the same goal, kind of. Uh, <laughs> Hadji Wright with uh, the best scuffed shot he'll ever hit in his life. And then Denzel Dumfries, just when we thought we had a game, killing it off to make it 3-1. Taylor, I, I um, my, my overriding thought of this was we characterise this game as a tactical battle. And we mm. said the US had a good chance in this battle. And we liked the odds and we liked the matchup. And it just seemed to me that the tactical battle was won by the Netherlands through smart management and a team that was deliberately playing the way it needed to play against the US. It was sitting very deep. It was trying to hit on the counter, you know, really just allowing the US to come to the halfway line and then, you know, take some risks because if those final balls, those final Mm. balls into the final third had been a bit better, it would have been a bit of a disastrous ploy for the Netherlands. But they held out and it felt like, they won that battle of the tactics. Yes, I think they absolutely did. I think this would have required the U.S. to be as close to perfect as they could have been or for the Dutch to be poor, and the Dutch were not, and the U.S. were not. Uh, I think we talked a lot about how the U.S. needed to, if not control the first 15 minutes, then weather those first 15 minutes and get through them, get through the intensity of a knockout round game, get through some of those initial nerves and then slow it down and grow into the game. That they can see it in the 11th minute is already a pretty big problem. But to your point, Ryan, it then allows the Dutch to, yeah, sit back, like crowd numbers in the middle, uh, and then basically like limit the United States' opportunities to like build basically down the channel once they're past midfield and then kind of funneling through them through the middle as they're trying to build out. And it really limited the U.S.'s ability to do anything. Uh, and I think then anytime they would start to have some possession, eventually they would be kind of forced into riskier passes and then the Dutch would be away. And that's exactly how they wanted to play on the counter. And they looked deadly going forward. Yeah. At one point in the game in the first like 25 minutes, it felt like anytime they went forward, they were going to get a really clear chance. And I think the U.S. were, yeah. were kind of shell-shocked got their way back into it, and then the second goal came, and that really did make it feel like this is going to be just too much of a hill for the United States to get over. 
from very early on, you could tell that the US was struggling defensively against the Dutch mm-hmm. in, in transition. And I think the, the, the first goal completely changes the dynamic of the match in that respect. And there were a couple moments where Zimmerman and Reem looked very slow against Gakpo yeah. in Memphis. And I thought the Dutch were doing, Ryan, you referenced it there in your intro or your question to Taylor, but they did a very good job of allowing the US to come to the to the halfway line. They recognised that the US were pretty loose in the final third. And then they were isolating Zimmerman and Reem as the two yep. uh, defenders in quick transition. And you saw that in, in, in the goals that they scored, even though it, they didn't quite isolate the, the two, in particular, uh, Reem and Zimmerman, for the, for the first two goals. But you just saw the defending on the, the two Dutch goals where the Netherlands got down the right side, they pulled it back, and there was just no awareness from the US to the runner arriving late in the box. It just felt like... The, the the Netherlands kind of scrambled the thought process of of of, of the US both in, in an attacking sense and the defensive uh, side of the game as well for the first goal Tyler Adams gets overrun in the middle and then frankly to my eye we talked about this in the Bleacher Report live show that Musa was a factor in this as well but to my eye frankly doesn't do enough to get back involved yeah. which was surprising given the World Cup that he had in the hole and then for the second goal some of the, the body positioning is horrendous when Dumfries pulls the ball back Dest in particular is completely square and doesn't react at all. So, generally speaking, I thought this was the USA's worst performance at this World Cup, and that is unfortunate, given the timing. Um, But I also thought we saw an incomplete team that hasn't been at this level before. The Dutch executed their game plan perfectly, and the USA didn't. And there were some inflection points where the outcome could have been different, like the Pulisic opportunity in the first five minutes or the ream shot off the line, or when the US concede in first half stoppage time when at that point, personally, I thought that was game done. And in hindsight, you know, I think a lot of people thought that and they were correct about that. So it just comes down to fine margins at this level. Um, And there is a temptation to feel sorry for yourself and bemoan bad luck. But I'd prefer to look at some of the progress that has been made and progress has been made and then analyse where progress has has still to be made going forward to 2026. And we can talk about that a little bit later in the show. Yeah, I I think, Graham, you're really smart to point out some of those defensive breakdowns. This game, we we talked about this before the match. This game was there for the taking for the U.S. The Netherlands, a good team, and they showed that today. The Netherlands played a very good game of soccer, but a beatable team, right? They're not always the most dynamic when they have the ball in this game. The U.S. tried to take advantage of some of that. They did okay in some, some different moments defensively, the United States But really, where this game was won and lost for me wasn't on any of the individual lineup choices that Greg Berhalter made. It wasn't on any of even the the macro-tactical stuff for the U.S. or even for the Dutch, although I do think those things played a part. It was really those individual defensive moments in the U.S.'s own box. That's where this game was lost for the U.S. It wasn't them really breaking up play higher up the field. It wasn't the Netherlands causing the U.S. a ton of problems, although the first goal was beautiful buildup. It was the U.S. turning off or not being fully engaged in those moments in their own defensive third or in their own box. And that has been like one of the things the U.S. has done the best under Greg Berhalter. They've been an excellent defensive team. They've gotten a lot of the defensive fundamentals right from 2019 to now. It, it felt to me like this was a weird irregularity, just the U.S. having a, a really poor performance inside their own box at just the wrong time. And then the World Cup, when you're it's, it's win or go home, you can't afford to have those moments and that the U.S. had multiple of them in this game made it just impossible for them to really claw their way back. There's the joke I keep seeing, like the scene I keep seeing in comedy movies and shows where it's like the the class of, of, usually it's like women and they all have like the dance moves choreographed. They're in like the exercise class. And then there's the one person in the class who doesn't know the moves at all and is just sort of 
trying to like figure it out as you go. And I feel like if you look at the way the Dutch defended and attacked, it was it was seamless at times. It was so well choreographed that opening goal is just like bing 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 one touch passing Unreal. and then away. Unreal. And for the and the US were the kind of like the uh, the people who didn't study their footwork and were like colliding with each other and knocking people off. It just felt like there was one team that was super in sync, knew exactly how they wanted to attack, knew exactly how they wanted to tr- transition to defense and how to do those pretty seamlessly. And for the US you could you could see the effort. You could see the wheels turning, the having to figure it out as a unit individually. And so it was slower. It was more reactive. You just had some of those individual mistakes that I don't think we've seen as much of in this tournament. I think a lot of it has to do with the U.S. being young and conceding so early in a knockout round game and just feeling like, oh, we got to get back into it, but we're not even playing our game yet. How do we evolve to be able to play our game and take the game to the Dutch? I think it just threw them so out of whack. It took them... Really, uh, I don't know if they ever did truly get back into a comfort zone because of that second goal. I think there was a case of the the brain scramblies there from the from the US <laughs> yes. after the full brain that first Dutch yes. goal because the, the first ten minutes went very well for for the US. It felt like they were being the protagonists. There's that the Pulisic chance which I mentioned, and at that point I was feeling pretty good about the the USA's chances. One of my predictions, I can't remember if it was in B, the BR show or if it was yesterday, but I said there would be a period of the match where the US felt pretty good about how the match was going. I hoped that that would last more than 10 minutes. And I think yeah. that that goal completely changes the, the flow and the dynamic of, of the match. I thought the, the wide areas was where the Dutch did a lot of damage. We spoke about how the wide areas would be key before the start of the match. And that turned out to be true. Unfortunately, it was the Dutch that made the most of the wings and out of possession, they were quite happy to force the US wide. But that meant there was all kinds of space when they needed to come forward. And the Netherlands scored two fullback to fullback goals in this match and Denzel Dumfries in particular was just so influential down the right and um, although the US did I thought they did do a bad job of shifting over to limit the space that he was having as demonstrated by how the Netherlands scored that their third goal with Dumfries at the back post and I think the Dutch maybe couldn't believe their luck that there wasn't a reaction from the US in that sense and there's a quote from Louis van Gaal here where he says the USMNT I assume he didn't say the USMNT but the USA didn't adapt they didn't adjust we made our t- t- tactical plan based on and then in, in, in brackets from Peter Galindo who who reports this targeting the flanks that was the, that was their game plan and they executed executed it very well and that was one of the the main differences between the two teams Graham do you think there's a theory that they the Dutch particularly targeted the right channel obviously with Dumfries with his two assists and, and having a lot of success in this game I think we tar- uh, we mentioned other Netherlands games where they were working the left channel it seemed like they particularly had success down that right channel I wonder do you think they saw Anthony Robinson as a liability or it would just happen to be that Dumfries went off today so I saw some a, a heat map of this game and it still felt like a good portion of the Dutch play was coming down the left side. Yeah. I think Daily Blind is a little bit of a possession hub for them. So he's more likely to take the ball in and absorb the ball. And it also for the US, it seemed like a lot of their play was coming down the right. So I think that wing was still seeing a, a good portion of the match. But I think what that was doing was that was pulling the US over to that side. And then Dun- Denzel Dumfries had all this space to play with and the, and, and the Dutch were effective at switching the play over over to him there was one moment in particular so to, to switch this slightly to Frankie de Jong Frankie de Jong by the way one of my favorite players to watch and he was very important to the way the Dutch played out in this match but there were two moments from this match that were particularly brilliant that involved both the the fullbacks and um, one was completely in, inconsequential where the, the US looked to have him pinned on the edge of his box there's three US players around him he gets a pass like straight into his feet 
and I'm not entirely sure what he's going to do. A lesser player would have would have crumbled in that moment. But without even taking a touch or even looking, he bends the ball out to Dumfries and the Dutch come forward down that right side. And then the second moment was very consequential and it led to the third Dutch goal that killed the game. He, he holds onto the ball that little bit longer so that three US players are drawn to him. And then that gives Blind the, the space to cross and find Denzel Dumfries for the third goal. I saw Sam Ty hi- highlighting that on Twitter as well. And so it wasn't just that the Dutch were able to get Dumfries high and, and wide on that right side. He had space, but they also had players like Frankie de Jong who could find him or Daley Blind who could find him from a, a, a cross for the third goal. Yeah, that, w- that was where a lot of the damage was done for the Dutch. Taylor, I think you mentioned previously, maybe in the previews, that there's that Dutch goal where they go down the channel, mm-hmm. drag the ball to the edge of the uh, the top of the D, the top of the D, the top of the area, and have a shot from there. We saw the first two goals coming that way, yeah. and at least one other chance in the first half that was exactly the same. Is that a shortcoming to not have defended against that, or is it like the Man City goal where it's just really hard to defend against? Um, I, I think it's it's both of those, but I think it is largely for the United States that they wanted Anthony Robinson and Serginho Dest to be so heavily involved in the attack that when you have both of them sort of just bombing forward, it creates that space behind. Uh, we've seen Tyler Adams in the past stay a little bit deeper and the center backs can spread out. And I think that was theoretically the idea here. The problem was that then the United States, to my mind, kept losing those sort of like middle out balls is the only way I can put them. Like I remember a couple of different times, a center back is sort of running towards the end line or running towards the sideline deep in their own third for the, for the Dutch and then just hoofs it up field. And more often than not, when you see that happen, it's like, oh, that's just a 50, 50 ball. Like, like so whoever wins it, it's going to be another loose ball or it's going to go to bounds. And almost every single time it drops to a, a Dutch player, a Dutch teammate, often Memphis, who holds it up well, lays it off. And then there's a one touch pass out wide. And suddenly not only are the U.S. caught high, but they're caught way too spread out. And I think that how fluid the Dutch were in the way they moved the ball vertically, but also from left to right and right to left, it made it so difficult for the United States to forgive the analogy, like to, to block the dam, to like to, to fill that dam in basically because every single time the ball would move, somebody steps, but then it moves really quickly and it just kept pulling the United States out. And when you have Jedi trying to be involved in the attack, when you have the center backs trying to shift over or Tyler Adams trying to pop out to deal with it in the middle, there's that huge gap. And I think it was one of the first times in this tournament that Dumfries has just had that much acreage and the Dutch themselves have had that much time to move the ball. I think the U.S. really didn't do themselves many favors by the way they closed down or didn't close down. And there you go. You got Dumfries charging down that wing, and that is a thing he wants to do. He wants to go for that cutback. They did it time and time again in the Nations League and World Cup qualifying. And it's tough to deal with. It's the FIFA goal, but it's certainly tough to deal with if you don't uh, put in those challenges, put in those clearances, yeah. make those blocks when you need to. Again, it felt like the U.S. just a little too soft in some of those 1v1 battles. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to excite Joe Lowry by mentioning the term XG. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes... I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They are made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Um, Joe Lowry, the US in this game had higher XG, I believe. Are you proud of me? Used XG in my intro. Very Just spoke proud. about it again. Very Thank you, proud, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, the USA also had 78.7% possession over the final 15 minutes of the first half. So there were periods of control. There is a different timeline where 3-1 isn't the scoreline here. Do you think if there was just that little bit of better quality in the final third, this could have been a very different story? Because it did seem like there was some a couple of moments where if that final ball was just a tiny bit better, then the, the Dutch would have been completely undone. And those XG and those possession stats would have been more aligned with the score. Absolutely. I think there is that reality out there somewhere. I guess we'll never find it. We'll never find it at least. The U.S. had some chances. Graham has mentioned the Pulisic won several times. That comes very early on in this game. He's played on side by Daly Blind on the left side of the Netherlands' back line. Pulisic, I think, does well with his strike. It's a great save by the Dutch, and it's still nil-nil in that moment. That could have been 1-0. That chance was just as good 
as pretty much all of the ones that the Netherlands have. Really, all of the the goals, maybe outside of the Dumfries header, which I think was free, that was maybe a simpler moment than some of the other chances that the Netherlands had. Tim Ream has his shot in the second half that's sort of cleared, not quite off the line, but it is cleared relatively close to the goal by Cody Gakpo. The U.S. had moments in this game, just as the Dutch did, one team finished their chances and the other didn't. And it's it's cruel, and this is the the pain of soccer sometimes. It's the beauty of soccer if you're a Dutch fan. But they they did better in those individual moments. I don't really believe that you can do a whole lot more if you're the U.S. in the attack, at least. You take the shots. You try to get into as many good spots as you can. Some days they're going to find the back of the net. Some days they're very much not. Today was one of those days. I know I keep banging this drum. The area where I do think the U.S. could have done better in this game is is with some of their defending inside the box. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly difficult to do, right? I mean, on that first goal that the Dutch score, Adam should have been tracking back faster. You know, Musa maybe could have stepped forward more. There's all these things that the U.S. could have done. But to credit the Dutch, like, that's that's what they're trying to make you do. They're trying to put you into situations that are uncomfortable. That's how you score goals is you force the defense into making mistakes. It's how you create chances. It's the same idea. The U.S. just didn't quite have it today in those moments, and that, I think, killed them. Joe, I'm glad that you went with the, like, analytical numbers explanation because I am about to give you some feelings, and I feel like people aren't going (laughs) to like it. Uh, But, like, you know when there is zero pressure, when you've got the balled-up piece of paper and you throw it, and, like, you're not even thinking about it, you, like, overhand it, and you just, like, like, it goes perfectly in, and you think... Let me try that again. And when you actually think about it, you miss by like a foot. Maybe that's just me. But I I feel like the Dutch goals, to your point, I think the U.S. had 0.48 XG at halftime. Yeah. I want to say the Pulisic miss. I think what I looked it up was like 0.42. So that tells you how many other opportunities the United States had. But that the Dutch had two goals and the same XG. Yeah, you could say like, yeah, it's a nonsense stat. I don't take it that way. I take it as... There are two shots through traffic from, what, like 15, 16, 17 yards out? And those types of goals are really difficult unless you are just finishing with instinct and you're throwing the piece of paper into the trash can without looking because you don't care. In this case, I think those Dutch finishers do such a good job of getting their hips over the ball. I think both of them are in-step finishes, but they take them in stride. They meet them perfectly the way you need to. They're not trying to smash it. They're not trying to crush it with power. And we've seen that happen so many times in this tournament, in this game. Weston McKinney has that one where I think he goes for too much power. And just like in golf, if you're overswinging, if you're trying to put too much in, to it you're going to mess up your form you're going to slice the ball here i think if you try to overswing and put way too much power behind it chance maybe you're going to like laser it into the net but so much more often you're going to roof it and or sky it and in this game i think the dutch players just took those chances so technically well that they're low percentage but they score them with with if not ease then i think just belief and there was so much belief about this dutch team in the way they played i think the u.s didn't do much to derail that belief so some of it is the u.s kind of shooting themselves in the foot but a lot of it is just the dutch executing their game plan yeah. perfectly memphis Depay is so good at that kind of finish for for the for the yep. first dutch goal and i would argue there's not really many players that I would rather in that particular situation with that particular ball played to the 12, 12 yard mark than it's like him Memphis and Thomas Depay. Muller. See, those are the two for me. Yeah, and Thomas Memphis Depay has made a career out of scoring those goals. So yeah, that that was one of the differences. Uh, Graham, if we could dig into some of the individual performances on the US team as well, we could start off perhaps with uh, with our favorite player on this podcast, Tyler Adams who, mm. um, let's see, uh, 93% pass success, a successful tackle and interception in this game, uh, a couple of clearances as well. It's just, he just seems to exude authority when you see him on this field. He just seems to be in the right position all the time. And maybe it's a bit trite to say he's the fulcrum, but he's so important, isn't he? 
I would agree over the course of the full World Cup. I think this was probably his worst performance for the US at this World Cup. Um, the first goal we've already highlighted, I, I don't think he does enough. Memphis Depay runs past Tyler Adams on that goal, and maybe there's more of an analytical reason. Maybe he's thinking someone else is picking him up. I would maybe lean on someone with greater expertise in, in, in that sense. But to me, it feels like he should match Memphis Depay into the box, and he's just not there at all. Mm. I think some of his passing in this game as well, when it was the onus was on the US to, after that first goal, when the Dutch are sitting back and basically allowing the US to slow their own play down in that first half. The onus is on the US to, to quicken things up and play through the Dutch. And, and Tyler Adams, I think we saw the limitations in, in, in his passing range. I don't think it helped that at that point, a realisation washed over me. And I don't want to revise too much because I was quite happy to see Walker Zimmerman in, in that starting lineup. But when the Dutch go 1-0 up and you realise that the US are going to have to play through them, at that moment, I'm thinking CCV should have started this game. Or certainly in that in that situation, he's more useful than Walker Zimmerman. Now, I don't know if he makes a massive difference. I don't know if that has any influence on the scoreline. But just talking tactically, I thought the US, their, their progression from deep with the ball wasn't ideal. And I thought Tyler Adams, in that sense, wasn't ideal in, in, either. So I agree with you. He had a good World Cup. I think his stock has, has, has risen. I am very much a big fan. I think the p the pitch coverage that he brings, the leadership that yeah. he brings, and that is important going forward for this young group into 2026. But it was unfortunate, and this was the case for a number of US players today, it was unfortunate that he times probably his worst performance of the World Cup for this match. That's fair enough. Uh, Joe, we, we mentioned Walker Zimmerman there. I thought he didn't have such a bad game either, and his stats don't seem too bad. No, I don't think Zimmerman was bad. I don't know that there were a lot of U.S. players that were just downright horrible in this game. Just few players seemed like they were at their best either, and, and a lot of that comes yeah. down to how the Dutch defended and, and how unique they are even at this World Cup. They play soccer like Leeds United under Marcelo Bielsa. They play soccer like San Jose Earthquakes under Matias Almeida in that they man mark in a lot of different areas of the field. In this game, they come out in their 3-5-2 defensive shape, their 5-3-2 whatever you want to call it, and their two wide forwards, Cody Gakpo and Memphis Depay, were, were very, very wide. They were trying to funnel the ball into the U.S.'s center back. So they would sit wide in almost the gaps between Tim Ream and Zimmerman. Uh, so th those two center backs would be in the back line. The forwards would sit between Ream and it would be Jedi Robinson and Zimmerman and Dest. They would split the center backs and the fullbacks to try to force the U.S.'s center backs to possess the ball, Zimmerman obviously being one of those players. He's not the best passing player. He's not going to be a guy who looks terribly comfortable under pressure. And when the ball is being funneled through Zimmerman, among other players, it's not really going to be the best scenario for him. So that, that's where I could see the value of having someone like Cameron Carter-Vickers in this team. I'm not sure that CCV is an infinitely better passer than Zimmerman, and that would have changed the game completely. But maybe that would have done something. Just not not great performances, I think, from a lot of U.S. players. It took them a beat or two to figure out how to break through the Dutch. They had some entries into the final third, but then when they got to the final third, I don't think the, the end product was very good in terms of the delivery or the decision-making in those areas. So, yeah, just a bad mix of, of performances and decisions, I think, from the U.S. today. Yeah, I think even when the U.S. would get things right, like the 28th minute, uh, the Dutch try to play like a, a, a ball in, like kind of a direct ball on the ground. I think they're looking for Memphis. And Zimmerman does a really good job. He steps in front and he one times it away. And it's like, okay, good. Good timely intervention. Except he times it, he plays it right back to the Dutch, who then play that same ball in for Memphis. Now Zim has to be on his horse to get back. And it's the one, it was the 20th minute, like I said. It's the one where I thought for sure we were going to get a penalty conceded here. Because he's he's tussling and he's tussling. And Memphis looks oh, for the I cutback, exactly the goes again, goes again, and goes again. 
I think it ends up going out for a corner. Yeah, but if, if I'm Memphis in that moment, I'm thinking. I can beat anybody on this team. They're all standing off. None of them seem like they can handle even a little cutback. I think we saw that against Wales at times. We saw that against England at times, and we saw it today. I think the U.S. defense, when they're sort of on their heels backing off, I don't think they want to try to make those plays. I think Zimmerman maybe is a little bit nervous about conceding another penalty, but I feel like the U.S. time and time again just failed to make a decisive play on the ball. Either foul the guy or step in and clear it out or just really put a foot through it in that 50-50, knock the player over. If it goes off, he it goes off you but you've disrupted what they're doing and you can just see that like ah 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 like the the nervous hesitation of i don't know to go or not and you can't do that you can't be of two minds and expect to handle a player like memphis or cody gakbo and i I thought that was a common theme on the attacking side of the ball too because it felt like when the, the the u.s had possession in the first half in particular it was all very twitchy nothing was very fluid it felt like there were too many touches too ponderous players thinking too much about what they were doing nothing was instinctive nothing was incisive so yeah i thought that was a, a common theme theme through the u.s performance and, graham, and this my, is oh, go ahead, Taylor, go ahead i've talked i've talked plenty i've talked all plenty. right i was just gonna say graham this is when we talked about this way back before the wales match you think about maybe adding an extra attacker on the field right because you think about the u.s's lineup in this game and i don't have any issues with it like i've already said but musa McKenney, and adams couple them with way and pulisic and Ferreira in this game as well to look at the front six, that's not a lot of game breakers, right? Pulisic is a guy who would rather have space to run into than open up that space for others. Tim Way, I think, is very much in that category as well. McKenney, Musa, Adams are all players who thrive in open space more than they do breaking down a team, not that they're incapable of that. Ferreira is maybe sort of the one lock picker that you would think about being in that group, but I'm not sure that he's shown he's at this level, also hasn't played a game in about six weeks now. You think about this lineup and... This, this team is not fully there yet in terms of players that they've developed to break through a defense, right, to, to solve problems on the fly. I think Dest was really the only one. Maybe Ream a little bit trying to take over as quarterback because the Netherlands were funneling the ball to him. Dest, I think, was really, though, the only player who was kind of taking the game over. And then, of course, he gets rinsed a little bit for the goal that Daly Blind scores right before the half. So, again, just a, an incomplete performance from the U.S. Gio Reyna is the player you would think about bringing in brought their subs him on in the second half. It's a proactive decision from him. Reyna doesn't ever fully get a grip on the game. He didn't look like he was 100% to me either. I can kind of understand based off of what we saw today why we haven't seen more of him in this tournament. There's just not enough... There there are not enough game-breaking attacking talents in this team to really problem-solve their way through a defense like this from the Dutch, and that makes it hard to create chances when you're playing a team that man marks like they do. Just, just a quick beat on those second half changes, Joe. I thought I thought the changes in the second half improved things slightly in terms of how the US were playing through the middle. Um, I don't think Reyna offered much as a number nine, and it was confusing in that moment why Weah was on the right and Reyna was through the middle. But then you had the second batch of changes and then Wright plays through the middle. And I thought there were some nice moments between Aronson and Reyna. You're right, we certainly saw that Reyna's not 100% fit. Um, but... There were fewer touches between them. It felt like things were a little bit quicker. As I said, Reyna wasn't playing at full capacity. But his natural game speed is quicker than most, and, and that helped to a certain extent. So I do think Baralter was in a difficult situation. Obviously, Reyna comes on at, at half time. I, I, he hasn't done that before at this World Cup. That's the most game time that Reyna has had at this tournament. You just wonder, would he have gambled? If he had known how this match would have played out, and obviously there's no way to know that. That's hindsight 2020. But... If he'd known how this game would go, does Reyna start this game? Is that maybe a difference maker? Even when he's not fully fit, is he still is 70% Gio Reyna better at cracking open a game than any of the players that started this match for the USA? I would I would maybe suggest 
that he is. But then obviously you are you are playing with his long term fitness, and and I can't imagine Bruce Dortmund would have been too happy with that. So there are other factors at play. Taylor, how how do we feel about Greg Berhalter's game management in general? Then how do we feel about um, Reina getting forty five here and Aronson and Haji Wright coming on with about half an hour or so to go? Do we feel like? This game was best managed. Do we feel like Reina's talents were used appropriately? If he wasn't fit, why did he come on at halftime? Yeah. Why did he not get a cameo later? Or could he have even uh, played from the start and, and risked uh, risk him for the first 20 minutes or so, as Graham said? It, it's a confusing one. And, and I think it's one Graham has been very good about not like contradicting what he said previously or not like changing his opinion now. Uh, I think at the time I was okay with this starting 11. I think we, we talked about what we thought Jesus Ferreira could bring to this game and the impact he might be able to have. Same thing for Walker Zimmerman. And I think within that conversation was basically the argument of Berhalter has said, he's not going to play anybody else at, at the number nine, aside from the three options he has. We don't think he's going to bench Pulisic. I don't want him to bench Tim Weah. So then you're looking at the midfield. I don't think any of them should have sat. So in that way, I think I wasn't surprised to see Gio Reyna. What I will say, and I'm happy to get slated for this, I didn't think he was that effective in the second half. I thought he looked like a guy who wasn't fully fit or wasn't fully in form. He has that shot that goes wide. You can argue if that should have been a foul. Um he has a couple good like holdups and layoffs, and I thought you could see those moments. Maybe it's just that it was the game was already gone at that point. But if you were expecting Gio Reyna to come in and be this like, there it is. That's why he should have been starting this whole game. I don't think this is the thesis statement. I don't think this is the argument for that. It felt like he was another player who was sort of overmatched by the occasion. He's very young. He's only playing 40 fin- 45 minutes. So I'm not even trying to like criticize his performance. I'm just saying that I I do think. The U.S. was let down not by like an individual player who could have made a difference, but by a, la- a failure to execute. I don't think this they were particularly sharp. I think they were overwhelmed. I think they were really shell-shocked by going down uh, one goal. And then I do think there were some individual tactical things that Greg Berhalter, if not got wrong, wasn't alive to fast enough. And you can see that with how Louis Van Hall talked about this game and the areas they wanted to attack. It doesn't feel like the U.S. was really set up to negate if Cody Gakpo drifts wide. Joe talked about that in the pregame, how part of Gakpo's threat is his versatility. He can be central, but he can move wide, and you can have overloads out wide on either channel if he wants to do that. And I don't think the U.S. really ever were set up to nullify that. They didn't keep people back. They weren't particularly conservative in that approach. So to me, I think there were things Burhalter got wrong in his basic tactical setup. I think the players also didn't really help him there. I'm not sure what changes could have really turned this game around, if any, but I look forward to Joe and Graham now dunking on all of those opinions. No, I don't want to I don't want to dunk on any of that, Taylor. I'm just curious to hear more from you. Mm-hmm. So you're saying Burhalter got things wrong even outside of the eleven. Yeah. What what should have been changed? What did you see that, that the U.S. didn't react to quick enough in this game? I, I think if your goal is to not concede in the first 15 minutes, and that really was a major thing to me, because we've seen that from the United States previously in this World Cup and in past World Cups. If you put yourself behind early, you're just playing catch-up, and the U.S. are not a strong enough team to be able to be ball-dominant and create and also still shut down. You can't really do that. I think this was a game where the United States needed to weather 15 minutes, then 
try to keep the ball a little bit, slow it down and find their opportunities, pick their chances and take them where they could. And so for them to come out and really it felt like have numbers committed forward to the attack pretty readily, it feels almost like they just played straight into what the Dutch wanted them to do. Louis van Hall, it's the same thing he did to Spain. You sit off and then you break really quickly and you beat the world champions like with ease. And here again with the United States, you, you sit off. It reminded me, I'm jumping around a little bit with my references, but it reminded me of when Colombia played the U.S. off the pitch in the Copa America Centenario, I believe it was. And it wasn't even like a bad loss. I think it was 2-0 maybe, but Daryl and I talked about it a lot, how Colombia just kept setting this trap of wait for the U.S. to cross midfield, block off two options, they will force the ball through the middle, they will turn it over, and then Colombia would counterattack. And it was like a trap that was spring-loaded and set. And the Dutch did it time and time again in this game, that as soon as they won it back, they played one ball vertical, they played one outlet pass, and away they went, and then they had options to cut back. And it just didn't feel like the U.S., covered enough of that area to stop that from occurring to put them under pressure further up the pitch so they didn't have time to pick out those passes or didn't get fouled or knocked off the ball it just felt like there was some naivete in the way that the U.S. approached it from the jump uh can we switch gears to maybe look at some potential positives for the U.S. in this tournament um Joe maybe we could take a a beat on Matt Turner for a second uh, who had a good double save in this game who for a player who doesn't play regularly has been pretty good in Qatar yeah, Matt Turner's been great in this tournament. I mean, maybe not great. He's been he's been very good in this tournament. There's not a lot about his game that I can criticize today or throughout the World Cup so far. Maybe there's some shots that he, he should have done a little bit better on in this game, but still, I think by and large, Matt Turner, I think Graham, it was you who said this on the BR postgame show that we did. You know, this is his spot. Matt Turner's gonna be in this goalkeeper spot for a while. Now he's not he's not young necessarily, but he's still got plenty of years left in him as a goalkeeper, especially. He might not be playing a lot of soccer right now, but at 28, you think about that, he'll be 31, 32 by the time the next World Cup comes around. I would expect it would be Matt Turner doing that job. So it is comforting to know, and I think Baralter does deserve credit for ultimately getting this decision right. It's comforting to know that Matt Turner is there in goal. He was generally good for the U.S. in this tournament. I thought his distribution was improved. There were a couple of nervy moments today, but that was not unique to him. That was a U.S. thing in general, trying to find their way through the Dutch. So yeah, Turner should be... A goalkeeper for the U.S. moving forward, I would expect, you know, barring Gagaslinina going, you know, crazy in in England, if that's where he ends up still with Chelsea. I know he made that move already. If he gets on the field for them and starts to change, maybe we're having a different conversation. But Turner, good in this tournament, should be the guy going forward. I saw a video from, it was circulating on Twitter yesterday, of Matt Turner in 2017 when he's still in college saying yeah. and they're asking him like what 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 do you want out of your career and he basically says well you know i hope to work in a what's he say like an investment bank or, or like the, the financial world or something like that that was only five years ago i don't know what that says about the the u.s soccer pathway but nonetheless joe's right i think he's nailed down that place for the for the foreseeable future if not for the next world cup probably the next couple years what it says is that everyone should play a season for the richmond kickers that's what yeah. it means play one <laughs> season for the richmond kickers and that like launches you to the next of course level. Mm-hmm. i think what it says he would have made more money if he'd stuck with the plan, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might have been the guy that uh, crippled the cryptocurrency market. <laughs> Maybe so, Mr. FTX, who knows? Um, one final question for you, a hypothetical before we head into the break. Uh, we are recording as Argentina playing Australia. Let's assume Argentina get through that. How would they better. This, yeah, exactly. How would this um, US side have matched up against Argentina had they have got through? Would it have been... Uh, Graham, I assume it would have been a pretty difficult one. Yeah, for sure. 
And I think Argentina would have done more to try and control the game than maybe the, the, the Dutch would have done. So it's maybe... I'm trying to think. That's maybe a slightly different test to what the, the, the US have faced at this World Cup. I was going to draw a comparison with England, but actually I think England and the Dutch actually play some a similar sort of game. So yeah, it would have come down to really who could create the most chances out of their uh, out of their possession. And I guess the team with Messi, I would probably <laughs> back to 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 edge that one. Yeah. Messi. you think? No, that can't yeah. be controversial. I don't. How'd you write in Lionel Messi? I think pretty much the same player. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah both could yeah. do the false nine thing with a ball. one played for the Cosmos and the other one will play for the Cosmos in the future. Who knows? <laughs> Good stuff. All right, on that note, let's take a very quick break. When we come back, let's look ahead to the future of this program and see how the next four years are going to pan out. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Guys, um, obviously the US are out of the 2022 World Cup, but let's um, see what positive bricks have been laid by this tournament, which is an awkward phrasing, Taylor. But what I mean to say is um, there have been some building blocks for the, the run-up to the next World Cup, which, is, of course, is on home soil. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you look at just the youth of the team. Uh, like, there's actual teenagers in this team. Eunice Moose says his 20th birthday. I think that a lot of the team looked good, at least in large chunks of this tournament. It means that there weren't those situations when it was teenagers that were just overwhelmed by the moment. To me, it was a sign that these players are all good enough to make that next leap, or at least most of these players are good enough to make that next leap to have continued development in their career. So even if we saw some raw moments, some some silly giveaways or a failure to pick up here and there, I think overall there are more players, at least in that starting eleven. Uh, that I expect to develop than not. So I think right there, that's a really strong position. I think Joe already talked about Matt Turner, and I would agree with that. Uh, but we'll still have more people coming through that can challenge him. I think the fullbacks, I really, really love Jedi Robinson. I love Serginho Dest when he's on his game. Even if he's switching off at times, I still think the way he seems to thrive playing with Tim Weah and the way the two of them like to attack together, like to overlap, like to create in combination, I think there are partnerships that have formed and relationships that have formed in this team ultimately it does feel like it's a locker room that likes each other likes playing together seems to enjoy playing for the national team and i genuinely don't think that is the case for many many other national teams i think it's a burden sometimes i think it's really stressful i think there are clicks i think if we've talked about it with spain for example where you have a barca click and a real click and sometimes they can gel and sometimes they can hate each other we've seen belgium fall apart this tournament we've seen the u.s fall apart in past tournaments because the locker room hated each other or, or at least didn't like each other so i think that it's a group of young players who seem to enjoy playing together and within that young group there's also plenty of talent definitely should have people excited for 2026 Mm -hmm. i think in a way we'll look back on some of these opportunities as missed opportunities that maybe it could have been better maybe if you go for it against wales you finish top of the group and maybe you're in a better position a lot of maybes in there but ultimately i think those maybes have me feeling more positive than negative i think in terms of on-field personnel there are three areas that i think the u.s needs to improve on for 2026 Two big ones. One is central defence. I know Tim Ream has a, a good World Cup, but let's face it, he's a short-term solution that's brought in because of an injury Graham, crisis. He'll, and just he'll only general... be 38 um, when Okay, comes sure. Around. Yeah, so let's bring back Tim Ream. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's going to be beyond him. So I think the US needs stronger, better centre-backs, certainly better all-round centre-backs. Maybe CCV is one of those players. I'm not sure. I, I am I am obviously part of the CCV fan club. I think of the, the US centre-back pool, he's potentially the one that I think could take another couple steps forward before 2026. But that's an area. Then it's the another obvious one, number nine. I think the, it's been a, a massive talking point all the way through this cycle. I know we talked up the, the all-round game of players like Ferreira and Josh Sargent. I think in an ideal world, the US has a player, a number nine, who actually scores goals. Maybe is that too much to ask? Um, but Seems I know that Hadji Wright scores one today, but I don't think he's going to be that player. The third area is I think the US needs someone who is better at playing the deep lying playmaker role, and maybe that is Wes McKenney. We saw that in the in the Iran game. People forget about Wes McKenney when he first breaks through. He's playing kind of in a similar position in a double pivot with Michael Bradley, and the two of those play, the two of them are kind of dictating the play forward. So maybe. Wes McKenney can can grow into that role a little bit or maybe another player comes into that team. And then there's the big off-field question and the debate now is going to be around Berhalter for a change and, and whether he's the guy for 2026. At this moment, 
I'm not sure. Is that is that okay to say I don't know the right answer right now? I feel like US soccer Twitter demands yes. I aggressively come down on one side or the other. But my feeling after this World Cup is that the US is on, is on its way to having a really good team. There's a core there, and you would reason that more players will come through over the next four years to address the depth issue. It's then about trying to project and predict whether Berhalter is the right guy to make sure the US takes the, the final few steps. There are reasons to keep them, and I think to, to keep him, excuse me, and Taylor, Taylor, you outlined them. The group seems to be a healthy one in terms of the locker room environment. That's important. Um, I think that's going to be increasingly important or even more important in 2026 where the pressure to succeed is going to be immense and you can't have a team ripping itself apart from the inside. The thing that concerns me most about Berhalter is I've yet to see that he can affect a match in-game at the highest level. In all four matches, I thought the US needed to react and only once did Berhalter do anything close to changing the game and that was against Iran when the US bunkered for the final 15 minutes. So that is a concern. At this point, I don't know what the right route forward yeah. is. I kind of wish, just to make our lives a little bit easier, I kind of wish the US had either made the quarterfinals or they'd crashed out in the group stages because that would have made it easier. Making it to the last 16 and going out there makes it a little bit difficult in kind of determining Berhalter's future with this team, for me, personally. Yeah. I, Graham, I think that's a fair place to be. It feels wishy-washy. It feels like sitting on the fence, but I think it's it's honestly a fair representation of where things are. Yes, the U.S. statistically has the hardest group, right? It's like everybody's got a high ranking in FIFA or high standing in FIFA. But at the same time, if you switch the U.S. and Canada, I, I don't know if the U.S. get out of that group. I think there's so much talent in there. I don't know if the U.S. are able to get a result against Belgium. I don't think they are against Croatia. I think Morocco could have sprung a surprise on them too. So I, I think it, it's tough to say. I think that they, they get out of the group is is kind of expected for me. I think that was like kind of the minimum bar. And then for them to get knocked out the way they do here, it, it leaves me with those same number of, of question marks around Greg Berhalter and this team. I think an interesting thing for me and specifically for me is like the first time I remember thinking, Oh, Greg Berhalter like could be a good coach. Um, he's coaching the Columbus crew. I think it's either just before the playoffs or in the playoffs, the first round against DC United. And he completely, outthought Ben Olsen and made adjustments and changed things up. Yes, it's a different time. But like, <laughs> I, and I remember thinking like, wow, like that is a manager who like, I, as a DC fan, I remember thinking like, we're not going to beat this guy because he made really smart in-game adjustments. He changed the formation. He brought on different personnel and completely won that game. And it, and it, I think it was a first impression coloring my view of him because now I look back and I'm like, Maybe I was a little too impressed that he outthought Ben Olsen and DC United. Like maybe that shouldn't be the standard for uh, for figuring out a national team. And to Graham's point, I think that was a recurring thing in this tournament. I didn't love some of his substitution decisions when he made them, who he brought on, and and I don't see him being able to to change the game when they're two nil down. It feels like if they get back into it, it's going to be because everybody suddenly decides to play really really good soccer, and we have some individual moments it didn't feel like it was going to be like, oh, they're coming out with a different shape that's going to nullify what the Dutch are doing and also present new opportunities for the U.S. And I think there are managers who can bring about that change, who can mm -hmm. have that impact on their team. The issue then becomes there's not many of them, and I don't know who would want to take the U.S. job right now because you don't have World Cup qualifying. You've got four years. It's not a lot of pressure. There's not, enough to, not, not that much to play for. It's a very strange position, and I too find myself basically being like, if they stick with Burhalter, I'll assume it's because the players said we all really like him, we want him to stay around. And if they don't, I'll assume it's because the players were okay with him moving on and he was okay with the change. I don't know if I'm going to be 
angry one way or the other, but I don't know if I'm going to be thrilled one way or the other either. Yeah, I don't think Pep Guardiola is getting the U.S. back in this game at 2-0 down. Like, I, I'm honestly not sure, Taylor, that that person exists. I, I think it yeah. is fair to criticize Baralta in the U.S. for all sorts of things. I think when they, they end up in the hole that they're in, they're the second half, I think this game was probably always done, and they showed some signs of life. But I don't know. It's difficult to make sweeping judgments about a team and about a coach and about individual players from from four games, right? I mean, it's very, very hard to do that. I think the U.S. showed a lot of good things in this tournament. I think they had their frustrating moments as well. There are plenty of them in this particular game. For me, the, the clear objective and, and really the more interesting talking point going forward is the development of the player pool rather than the manager stuff. And I, I love the tactical side, and I am very curious to know what the next manager, who the next manager will be. If I had to put money on it, I'd say it's someone other than Greg Berhalter, given that his contract is up reportedly. And it seems like a second cycle for Peralta would be Martinez. Unlikely. Martinez. No, I was just going to say there is someone at US Soccer who has Roberto Martinez's number. Do not call that number. <laughs> Delete that number from your phone right now. Don't even dare. That's Graham's cautionary tale for for yeah. US Soccer. But I, I mean, I am, I am very curious. And Graham, I, I like what you were getting at there a bit earlier about different position groups that need to improve and areas where the US need to continue to develop. I think in this game, if you have more technical center backs, that that is like. The easiest way to beat a man-marking defense is to have a center back drive into midfield, draw defenders in, pass the ball forward, and then you're away. The U.S. did some of that in this game, but I don't think you feel as good about Tim Ream and Zimmerman doing that as you would about, you know, pick any two of the 18 center backs on the Netherlands roster, for an example. So I think there are very clear areas where the U.S. still needs quality. But man, we saw some of what these team can do when they have players that are fit and ready, the midfield being there, the attackers on, on point at times in this tournament. And that does excite me for the future. Joe, what do you, this is like a, a very big question and Graham and Ryan, I'd love your thoughts too. Like, what do you think it is that makes it when a national team is deficient in like very specific areas like that? Like if you talk about, it's like a, a very like comfortable on the ball center back who can carry the ball forward and find passes. It's a like uh, a holding midfielder who can like a deep line midfielder who can make those plays. It's a number nine who can score goals. The U.S. seems to like kind of always struggle with those sure. those spots, and and at a certain point, it feels like other national teams. Maybe you've got like, oh, that guy should have been called in; he can do this, or that guy shouldn't have been called in; he can't do that. With the U.S., it feels like they are pretty much bringing like the best players they have in those positions. You could debate mm-hmm. Pepe or Pifak, but I think like looking at the center back, it was long a conversation about do we have anybody who's mobile and can play a pass when sure. Miles Robinson gets hurt? It feels like no, not really. And I don't yeah. really know why it is that as a pool, those areas are so lacking. So, so I'll take the number nine one first. I just think pretty much every country in the world struggles to create goal scoring number nines like if we go through this world cup how how many are there at this world cup maybe like 10 6 or yeah. 7 if we're being yeah. generous um there's, are we putting there's Harry not Kane many on that around list? even though he wants yes. score goals yes okay come on now yes Harry Kane is on that list i mean would you take him for the us eh, would, I, I don't think know you would take Harry Kane. i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that so yes Harry Kane is definitely uh, on that list just sergeant Graham, let's be fair of course, yeah, of course. The Norwich City Inzaghi, I think is what they call him. Um, I actually quite like Josh Sargent. Me too, me too. I'm, just, I'm saying the him. comparison is... Uh, of know. course, yeah, he's not Harry Kane. He's not uh, Kylian Mbappe or, or, or uh, Lewandowski. Yeah, so I, I just think most countries struggle to create those players because they are difficult to create, and I'm not yeah. sure that you can a system can actually create those players. It seems like the deep-lying playmaker and the centre-back issue is kind of linked. Agreed. You're looking for similar things from those players, so I don't know... You guys who have a better insight into 
what is being taught to young players in, in American soccer? I mean, is that is that a factor sure, at all? Surely that has to be it, right? I mean, the U.S. in general has done a better job of creating classic athletes and not soccer athletes, right? So we're talking about why the U.S. can't create really effective line-splitting passers from deep areas. That starts at the grassroots level. That starts at the youth ranks. That's something that we're going to continue to see be a problem, I would wager, over the next five, ten years. But I think it is improving. We're seeing other players that have a slightly different mold pop up. I think about Jack McGlynn as being maybe the best example with the Philadelphia Union of somebody who is like a classic deep-lying playmaker, and he is really good at that stuff. There aren't enough of them. There aren't enough of those complete players in the U.S. youth ranks at this point either. But, yeah, I think it's got to be about youth development for the six and for the center back spots. All right, one final thing I want to do on this pod with you gents before we head off into the sunset is give a grade to the USMNT for this tournament. This is something we did on the Bleach Report show. I'd like to um, re-up it here, if you will. Uh, Joe, where do we start? I'm still at a B plus. I think there were more good halves of soccer than bad ones from the US in this tournament. There were more good performances than bad ones on an individual level and on a team-wide level. I, I set the line for the US coming into this tournament at the group stage. You make it out of the group stage... I think you've you've done relatively well. The U.S. do that. They play some pretty good soccer along the way. B-plus feels right to me. Graham, higher or lower than a B-plus? Um, so I would go slightly lower, but I, I agree with semantics at this point. I agree with pretty much everything Joe said. I just kind of have my baseline as a C, and I think it was ever so slightly above that baseline, so I've gone for a B-minus. And Taylor? I'll split the difference. I'll go B. I think jo- Joe's right. It, it was a lot of good soccer. I think this game was not. But I think within that, there were like moments when it felt like this could be this team kicking into the ne- next gear and being that next level uh, competitor. But then there were also two goals, three goals in total. Like I, I think there were still areas of concern as well. So in the end, I think it's a, it's a good performance. It's good to get out of the group. I hope for a little bit more today. Overall, a B. Wonderful stuff. One thing left to do on this pod, and that is very specific predictions uh-huh. for Sunday's slate of games. The ten Wait, game. the World Cup still continues You're after right, the US did, is out. Yeah. This is the second time I forgot that that happened. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it is amazing the world keeps spinning. Yes, and we still wow. have to keep going on this thing. Um, so tomorrow, as I can't we see record- it spin, Ryan. It's fake news to me. It looks yeah. like it's just stationary out there. Mm. It's yeah, The world's not flat, etc. and so on. France beating Poland at 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, and then England <laughs> struggling against Senegal in the 2 p.m. Yeah. game. Uh, Graham, do you have a VSP for the French or the Polish? I have a VSP for the French, and that is that Usman Dembele will have more dribbles in this match than he has had in any other match so far at this World Cup. So his highest tally so far is three, and I think the way this match is going to go, Poland yep. are going to ask France to break them down and Dembele is going to be the one asked to take opponents on on that right side of the French attack. And if he has a good game, France win this comfortably. If he has a bad game, they still probably win pretty comfortably, but Dembele is going to be a key part of their game plan. So that is my my French slash Usman Dembele VSP. Very nice. Taylor, you got one for this game? I do. Also French. I love that one from Graham. I think Usman Dembele is going to have a bigger game because I think there's going to be so much focus on Kylian Mbappe. But I think France will have a lot of the ball and many opportunities. I looked at the Argentina game when they played Poland. Uh, Argentina, 3.6 XG, 73% possession, 23 shots, six big chances, 800 accurate passes. I think France will better that. I'm going to say France will finish finish this game with an XG above four. I think they're going to have tons of opportunities. I think they're going to be shelling that Poland goal XG above four for France in this game 
Shelling Poland, oh boy, my mind went somewhere else. Let's not do that. Uh, yeah, the England... French don't. The French didn't do that though. The French That's didn't true. do that. <laughs> they just rolled over anyway. England versus Senegal. <laughs> let's um, let's oh, go to I that one. I've got a VSP for this one. I think that Senegal will win five or more aerial battles than England. England in their opening three games won thirty-three aerial battles, ten alone against the US. Senegal, on the other hand, in their opening three games won fifty-five aerial battles, almost double. Um, they won twenty-two aerial battles against the Dutch. It was Koulibaly and Sisi in the back who, who I who I think are gonna in this game, be clearing their lines from endless crosses coming into uh, not Harry Kane, basically. So that's what my thinking here. I think there's going to be a lot of aerial battles in this game. Ismail Sarri, uh, Sarri at the other end, also, uh, I think he won five aerial battles against the Netherlands. I think he's going to win some up top as well. But my thinking here is that England are going, to, are going to pelt crosses in and it's going to really bump up Senegal's aerial battle win. So five mm. or more than England in that game. I like I like it I like it Ryan I'm Scooby Doo now I guess apparently I uh, I have another England <laughs> England oh that was good Taylor maybe you should be Scooby Doo England Senegal VSP for me is also sort of aerial ee so I think there's going to be a set piece goal in this game England are uh, can be dominant on set pieces we haven't fully seen that in this tournament so far but Senegal get a set piece goal in their their final group stage game against Ecuador I think one of these two teams is going to snag a goal on a set piece. Very nice indeed. Uh, I hope it's another Marcus Rashford beauty. We shall find out, uh, Joe. We shall find out. But for now, this concludes this podcast. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for that VSP and all that came before it. Ah, you're welcome, Ryan. I'm sad. Oh, don't be sad. (laughs) Pick up that uh, frown and turn it upside down, bud. Yeah. Oh, I solved it. All right, I'm help? better Good. now. Yeah, Joe, cheer up. Joe, 2026 yeah. is only like half your lifetime away. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right, Graham. That did make me feel better, actually. It could be worse. You could have Louis Van Hall just like publicly eviscerating you the way Greg Berhalter does. So at least you don't have that. Is that helpful? It's, it is comforting that Louis Van Hall has no idea who I am. Yes. Oh, update. Yeah. Update. Oh, it was it was Louis Van Hall in the BR chat, it turns out. He is wow. the one who's all about oh, some Joe Lowry. Wow. That makes me slightly more nervous for you, Joe. I think yeah, definitely that, I like that those less. doors. Yeah. I like that way less, Taylor. We know how Van Hall feels about shikshmashikism, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Once again, lock the windows and doors extra tight tonight, Joe. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Taylor Rockwell, sorry I had to lower the tone, but at least I waited till the end. I mean, you held off as long as you could before making sex masochism and French jokes, but uh, I appreciate that you held off just as long as you possibly could. All right, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one and all of them indeed. We'll be back on the feed to review Sunday's games, but for now, bye. Slash it.